Welcome to the Christian Renewal Church Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be in 1 through 16. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, help us this morning to understand, help us to intellectually grasp what's being said in this epistle, and help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to apply it to our inner man. Help us to live out these truths. Help us to live aware of these truths, God. We prayed earlier, that, and I, and I prayed again, Lord, that none of us would live our lives wrestling with who we are, but we would be so sure that we are um, in Christ, blessed in every way, that we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ, that our identity is, is first totally wrapped up in the person of Jesus, that we belong to him. And so we thank you, we ask you for revelation, we ask you for your spirit, for your presence, and it's in your name that we pray, somebody say amen, hallelujah. Growing up, um, year after year, like other young men in America, I was subject to blatant prejudice. I was humiliated and degraded every year um, when I walked on the football field for the first day of practice and they said that I had to play offensive line because my thighs were a little rounder than the other boys and my belly was a little shaky. Um, every year it was offensive line. Um, I, I didn't want to play sports growing up. I wanted to lay on the couch and watch MTV, um, but my parents said that that wasn't good enough. Um, and so um, every year I, I played offensive line. I hated it. I thought it was boring. I wanted to be the quarterback. You know, I want to be defensive end, but I wasn't fast. I couldn't throw the ball, but I didn't care if someone could do it better. I wanted to do it, man. Give me the ball. One year I was a uh, one year they, I was playing center, which like when you're a big boy, that's the only time you get to touch the ball is when you play center. Um, so one year I was playing center and they would, every now and then they would let me trade places with the quarterback and I would just get to do a little quarterback sneak when we needed a couple yards. And that was the highlight of it. The highlight of it. Nobody wants to play offensive line. Um, but, but this year it was funny. I'm, I'm a Florida State fan, so I'm watching my team. And this year, um, game after game, our offensive line is just crumbling. And so our quarterback looks a lot more like a pinata than a quarterback. Maybe a bowling pin. Um, just completely getting torn up. And all year I was like, you got a block, boy. Somebody got a block. Um, and, and as, as I came to our text this morning and I'm like really trying to meditate and think about what this text is trying to say to us, uh, I was, I, I, I think that as Westerners, we're so individualistically minded, it's all about me touching the ball, that we don't all think team, like in, in no way do we, th- we don't, if, if we're on a team, we want to be the star of the team, like we're okay with other people supporting us, but we don't really, as Westerner, Western individuals in a, in a capitalistic market, which all those things are good, I'm not saying any of that is wrong, but, but our framework of thinking is always me, like I want to be the center, I want to be the main person running the ball, doing the thing. And that just is not the way that the body of Christ works. And we've let that seep into the way that we view the body of Christ. And I think that it's borderline offensive to the gospel text. And so this morning, as we come to our text, as I meditated on it, I think there are two things that we do that I'm just going to kind of hammer for the next 30 minutes. I think we 
view the gospel through this lens of it being all about me. And so some of us come to Christian faith and we think that it's all about us getting a microphone in our hand and getting a platform. And we, we view the church as a means for which that we can climb a ladder to success. And I think that's a blatant misrepresentation of the gospel. And then, but most of us do this. Most of us sit back in our seats and we watch someone with a microphone and we say, yeah, they, that's their responsibility. And, um, the New Testament scholar, his name's E.K. Simpson, and commenting on our on the text that we're going to read today, he says, in the theocracy of grace, so in the God's kingdom of grace, there is no such thing as laity. And so there's, I think that there's two postures that we float in between. One posture of we want to be the man with the mic, and we want, to, we're, we want this ministry, we want to be on TV, and then there are some of us who are like, I don't want anything to do with that, so I'm just going to let someone else do the work. And I'm, I think our text today says that you are not allowed to shirk your responsibility to someone who you see fit as a perfect gospel man. Like, like we, hear me, I'm just going to be really straightforward because I'm allowed to be. As, as charismatic Pentecostal Christians, you are not allowed to sit at home on your couch and watch some TV preacher borderline heretically asking for money all day long and go, yep, that's the man who's doing the ministry. That does not work for the New Testament. You do the ministry. You're the saints. You cannot, biblically speaking, shirk your, don't shirk your responsibility onto me. It's my role, according to this text today, to help equip us as a body to reach this community. It's not my job to do everything. Don't, don't you shirk your responsibility on me. And for heaven's sake, don't shirk it on some guy, some man on TV peddling for money. It's, it's the body of Christ functions as a, as an organism, as a team, and you have a role to play. And so this morning, this is where we're going here. If you have a butt in the seat, you got a part to play. If your butt is in a seat this morning, you have a ministry according to the gospel. If you have a butt, you have a ministry. And we got a lot of butts around here. No, <laughs> Sue said, somebody tweet that. Please don't. All right, so let's read our text. And, and, I'm, and I'm serious, man. I'm so serious. I, I think that it is... Well, we'll get there. I, th- I think it, I think we do a disservice to what Jesus died for and intended to create in, in his intention of creating a body, a gospel-centered, Jesus-centered organism that would live for the purpose of preaching the gospel to all nations and people that would go to work with the gospel in their belly and wait for opportunities to share it. For people who would, in their neighborhood, say, I'm going to have a Bible study and try to minister to people. For people who go to the grocery store and consider that, that person checking you out and try to bless them, just try to love them for a moment. What Jesus died for was saints who were equipped to do the ministry. He did not die for you to sit on your butt and watch some man on TV preach garbage and send all your money to it and call, oh, he's going to do the work. He didn't die for that. And that's a disgrace to the gospel. And so I say, and I'm praying you agree with me. I say, let's do the New Testament here. Let's, let's do the New Testament. Let's embrace what this thing is saying about us. And let's live as if Jesus is absolutely, actually worthy of it. Okay, so here's our text. Ephesians 4, we're going to go um, verse 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives as he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the shepherds, or the the shepherds and the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so I wrote and rewrote the sermon like 15 times this week. Um, so I'm going to do my best to follow Paul's pattern of thought, to 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 be faithful to what the text is trying to communicate. The first thing he says is that, he says, I, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ, urge you to walk worthy of the, walk, walk in a manner that's worthy of the call with which you've been called. The first thing he says is, everything we just talked about. So we did the three chapters of no. And so we're starting chapter four now in the way that you live. Now he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the call. And so there is a call and, and you can either walk in a way that honors that call or you can walk in a way that dishonors that call. So nowhere in the New Testament text do you ever get this idea of antinomianism, this idea that you can live however you want to live. Remember in Ephesians 2, you were saved by grace, not by your own doing, not through works, but you were saved for good works which God prepared beforehand for you. And so uh, Paul is urging us to grab hold of the gospel, consider the gospel, consider who you are in Jesus, and then live in such a way that you actually express that. Live in a, in a manner worthy of the call in Christ. And then, then he says, live eager to maintain unity in the bond of peace. And, and for some reason to Paul, that is the most important thing as he continues walks towards this idea of individual callings, that you would be a person that lives eager to maintain the bond of peace. Are you eager to maintain peace in this house? Are you eager to maintain peace amongst us and other Christians in this community? Are you eager to establish peace in your family relationships? Or are you a gossip? Or are you a pot stirrer? Do you live worthy of the call? And he says, live humble, live gentle, live patient, live bearing with one another in love. I think this means that you give people the benefit of the doubt, that you allow others to have a mistake on you, that you're incredibly gracious, even when you're concerned that it might bite you. That we really like hold that sermon on the mount and turn the right cheek, even when we're struck to the left, that we actually care for another. 
Walk in humility and grace. And, and this is what I think is profound. And this is where I keep getting tangled up when I'm trying to think through this. Is that I think Paul here is talking about the corporate call. He's saying live in a manner that's worthy of our corporate call in Christ. But I keep getting tangled because then he's going to start talking about our individual call. But as I meditated on the text this morning, or this week, I, th- I think what's important and what's... Um, What's almost ironic is that if you do not live worthy of our corporate call, you will never fulfill your individual call. If you're not living worthy of your call in Christ, you'll never be the businessman that God's called you to be. If you're a businessman who deals underhandedly, if you're, if you don't walk in integrity, how are you ever going to fulfill your call to bless people and lead people in righteousness? If you are a school teacher who gossips and slanders and who looks down on people, how are you ever going to fulfill your call to love and bless a community and to impart gospel characteristics into young children? If you are a parent who walks in bitterness and hatred, unworthy of our corporate call, how will you ever fulfill your individual call to love your kids, raise your kids, really care? You can't do it. The the, the irony is that no one gets to do their individual call until everyone comes to the place of living worthy of our corporate call. No one gets to accomplish it until you live worthy of your corporate call. And to just to get a little ahead of myself here, in my mind, no one gets to climb to the position of apostle or prophet or pastor until they have first lived worthy of the corporate call. So for heaven's sake, don't come to my kids trying to prophesy over my family if you can't live humbly, if you can't take care of your family, if you can't serve and take out the trash. The church ought to not let anyone exalt themselves in the in the hierarchy of the church. No No one should excel in leadership until they have excelled in the corporate call, which is humility and kindness and love. And so don't come, don't don't you dare try to work your way up until you first work your way down. So the, the first thing I think Paul says is that there's a call before the call. And the, the first call is that you live worthy of the call. And then he says, uh, I, then he calls us to live in unity. That before we ever start talking about different roles and different giftings and, and apostle and prophet and pastor and evangelist and what the saints do and don't do. Before we ever talk about that, he says, first emphasize what we all have in common. First emphasize, and then he runs, he gives off this list. Emphasize the fact that we are one body, that we are grafted in Jew and Gentile, like poor and rich, successful and seemingly unsuccessful. We all are all grafted into one body. We are one bride of Christ. And then he says, remember that we have one spirit. There is one Holy Ghost. We've all been filled with the same spirit, wooed by the same spirit, redeemed by the same spirit. And then he says, we have one hope, which is the resurrection of the last day. And then we have one salvation from death to life in Jesus one baptism. We've all been buried in Christ, made alive um, when we come up. And we have one Lord Jesus, and we have one God and Father of all. Emphasize this before you start talking about your fragments and individual roles. Emphasize our commonality before you get into fractions. And then, and then thirdly, then he drops this butt in verse 13. We're talking a lot about butts this morning, forgive me. Verse 7, I'm sorry. But grace was given to each one 
according to the measure of Christ's gift. Then he talks about Christ descending and ascending and that Christ has given each one of us individual gifts. And then he, um, so, so what he just said was everyone has to live worthy of that call. If you can't live worthy of the calls, just stop and, and figure that out first. We've got to talk about who we are before we start talking about what we're going to do. That just matters, man. I care much less about if I'm successful in ministry as I care about the way that my kids view me. It's really easy for a pastor to be a great preacher and a great minister and their kids to think that they are garbage. I'm, what, the people that know me the most ought to love me and respect me the most. I ought to live worthy of the call. First, there's a corporate call that we ought to live worthy of. Second, emphasize your unity. There's a commonality. We all have one God, one baptism, one salvation, one hope. Get your unity right before you get into your, and into your, um, distinctions. And then he says, but there, there are distinctions that I want you to be aware of. But there are distinctions. But each one is giving a gift from Christ to fulfill a specific task. But the body is is filled with individuals with different giftings that work together. And then this is what he gives us, okay? He says that that Christ gave us um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers um, to equip the saints for the ministry. The, uh, the way that, that everyone is taught, this is, we call this the fivefold ministry. It doesn't always work in fivefold because some scholars are in, in disagreement about whether the pastor and teacher are the same thing. But the way that we were taught, and this is how it works. Everyone see my hand. Here it is. Um, the apostle is the, the head, the father who goes out into communities, who raises people up, and the apostle can touch all the fingers, so they, they teach you to remember the apostle with a thumb. The apostle imparts, the apostle trains, the apostle teaches, the apostle plants churches. The prophet points at people, and that's how I remember it. It's supposed to be like talks from God to people, but I think of John the Baptist like getting you. I think there's a holy point, man. Sometimes you get that point out. I don't get the whole three fingers thing. I'll point the whole hand if I got to. Um, the, the prophet is the pointer finger that speaks from God to people. The evangelist is the longest of your fingers, so it, it reaches out. The pastor is like my wedding ring there, is the person who helps us to walk in covenant. And then the, the pinky is your get into detail. Um, that represents the teacher. So that's how I remember your pinky when you, you know, when you got a booger and you got to use your pinky to get up in there. Oh, I'm showing my age this morning. The Lord help me. Detail, man. My kids will book their boogers while they're talking to anybody. They just go for it. And so Paul says that there are distinctions. He says we, we all have a common manner to walk. We all have commonality. But he says there are distinctions. And I want you to be aware of the distinctions. Um, and so there's a couple things that we have to wrestle through right away. Um, Number one, which this is, this is a little bit controversial in the body of Christ, and so just give me a minute to hash through it. Number one is, do we still believe the fivefold ministry to be in existence today? So are there still apostles and prophets? That's a question that's debated widely. My conclusion is that there are still apostles and prophets. What's, what's interesting is that the church as a whole is very happy to welcome the evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And we don't like apostles and prophets, I think primarily because they carry a an element of supernatural. And so much of the body of Christ has rejected anything supernatural. Um, and, and I think in, in that rejection, they immediately throw out the idea that the apostle and prophet can still be in function today. 
So I think they're wrong. The way that they do that is they appeal to ages. And so they, they say that when the canon was closed, there's no longer a need for apostles or prophets. Um, but I don't see that in the text. And so for me, my hermeneutic or my lens for which I interpret scripture is really simple. It's, and it's simply this. If the New Testament says that I should pursue prophecy, and the New Testament nowhere explicitly says that I shouldn't. If it explicitly says, do not forbid speaking in tongues, and nowhere does it say that I shouldn't, then I don't bow the New Testament to someone's extra system. Does that make sense? So the idea of ages is an extra hermeneutic that someone thought up, and so I don't submit the plain reading of Scripture to someone's extra hermeneutic. And so when the text simply says that, that we should pursue prophecy, that's what Paul says, pursue prophecy because it edifies the church. I, I obey that text and I, and I, I allow that text to bear weight on my thinking before I allow anyone else to tell me what's happening and not happening. So if the text doesn't explicitly tell me that apostles and prophets have ceased, but it does explicitly tell me that they exist, then I embrace what the text says rather than an extra system. What's, what's really interesting, um, there's a, there's a work called, called Miracles by a scholar named Craig Keener. I'm not suggesting you read it. It is like more than you want to read. Um, but, but in, in, in Miracles, there, it's a two work volume. It's probably like 1200 pages. Um, Craig Keener, he highlights the way in which the Western worldview has brought in cessationism and he, he draws this parallel between cessationism and, um, the Enlightenment. And, and, and kind of Nietzsche's idea that as we mature intellectually, we will mature our way out of needing supernatural things. That as we mature intellectually, we'll realize that the things we thought were supernatural were actually just some scientific thing that's happening, some chemical or something. So that was Nietzsche's idea. And, and what Keener kind of draws is that the church kind of started to embrace that. And, but at the same time, the church was trying to lean out of Catholic mysticism that got a little weird. Um, and so what, what, what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, okay, we're, we're, we're just going to let the text bear weight. We're just, I'm just going to, for me, my hermeneutic is explicit text rules. If the text plainly says that there are apostles, prophets, if the text plainly tells me to pursue prophecy, then that text rules. Okay. No one, no, no one's outside system gets to trump my, the, the plain reading of the text. And so admittedly, Rather, admittedly, my hermeneutic is plain and simple. Admittedly, the, the Pentecostal charismatic hermeneutic or interpretation of text is simple. It is simple, and, and, and I have a simple hermeneutic because I believe the New Testament text was written to simple people. Um, I'm not going to go too deep down that rabbit trail. Um, so, so I think that we, I think that the gift of prophecy still exists. So I think that there are still people who operate in a prophetic role. I think that the, the, the text says that Christ gives apostles to build up the church. And so I think that there are, there are still apostles today. Um, but here's where, so I think in one sense, I think the dispensationalists or those who build ages are emphatically wrong to wipe out entire segments of what the New Testament has given us with their ages. And then in one sense, I think they are absolutely right. And this is where I think Pentecostals, Charismatics get so lost, is I think they're wrong in the sense of that, yes, apostles and prophets are still on the earth today, but they're right in the sense that they're emphasizing that the, uh, the 12 apostles that walked with Jesus and Paul had a unique authority that I don't believe apostolic people today have. We've got to get this right. There was a unique authority to give scripture. 
There was a unique authority to testify of the life of Jesus. I think they maybe even carried a, a unique authority to, to, to bring clarity to certain situations. And so, for instance, throughout the text, there, there are times where Barnabas is called an apostle. Barnabas never gives um, scripture. Barnabas never has a loud voice in the votes of the church. And so I think that there are still, in a sense, apostolic people who plant churches, who raise up leaders. But I do not give any man or woman the same license that I give Peter to write to me. I do not, I don't, I don't believe that the Pope can stand behind his desk and give canonized information. I don't think the Pope can speak and I'm supposed to carry that, those words with the same weight as I carry these words. I don't give the Pope that kind of leadership. I also don't give a charismatic man on TV in a swanky suit and tie asking for him. I do not give him that kind of authority. In the same sense, I think that there are people with prophetic giftings and prophetic bents and who can help us grow in prophecy. But I am not a Mormon. And I do not give any man on the earth today the right to prophesy and supersede Scripture. No man on the earth today, what, what Paul and Peter both say is that the writers of Scripture were carried along and preserved by the Holy Ghost as they wrote. So yes, I'm saying in one sense that the Bible says that we, that there are prophets and we should, we should embrace that role which is gonna help us to learn from the Holy Spirit. Yes. And on the other sense, with the cessationists, I'm saying no. The Pope does not get to give canonized information. And no to the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. You do not have a prophet who can supersede the scripture. And again, no to the swanky charismatic on TV who's spouting heresy. And and it's saying that I should believe everything he says because he has prophet in front of his name. No. There's no man who supersedes the scripture. There was a unique role given to the apostles and prophets. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in the middle ground of saying, yes, I'm a charismatic. And I'm saying, yes, I agree with you, cessationists, that no, we can, there is no person alive who gives the scripture or who prophesies with absolute infallibility. So even in the prophetic gift, Paul says, you should discern the prophetic gift. Paul says, you should test it. It should be submitted to the elders. The elders should sit around and talk about it for a while. That, that we should not allow anyone to stand behind a microphone and start to speak plainly and to receive that in the same way in which we receive this. This trumps any man or woman that's alive today. You hear me? You've got to get this right. And to be really, I'm just in the spirit of honesty today. There are some days I'm downright embarrassed to be aligned with the charismatic movement because of the garbage that we've let pass as teaching. Because of the garbage, the absolute heretical garbage that we've let fly because someone put apostle or prophet in front of their name. And if they can't live worthy of the corporate call, they can't walk in that a title, apostle and prophet. And if they can't teach faithfully the scripture, they are not a prophet in my book. And I'm not sending you $5,000 for a breakthrough. I don't have five thousand dollars if i had it i'd send it to a missionary not paying for your jet fuel so i'm just telling you here here hear me hear who i am i'm i'm this 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 is it man this is who we're gonna be we're gonna live plainly to this but i will not allow the charismatic garbage that we've continued to allow to flourish i won't allow it in this house chris is my homeboy back there and if i tell chris to cut the microphone off he's gonna cut it off okay so i'm not i'm saying we're not we're not doing that we're not going to be flaky teach whatever you want to teach because apostles in front of your name no we are all subject to the scripture and i don't care what title you have your job is to teach this as faithfully as you can teach it you guys hear what i'm saying at all So stuck in a hard place because I'm 
blatantly charismatic because the scripture tells me in my, from my hermeneutic plainly not to forbid speaking in tongues, to pursue prophecy. But plainly the scripture tells me that if a man or woman can't obey, can't live worthy of the call, then they cannot excel in church leadership. And we've let people just climb the ladder because they're gifted. And I, I, I get it. Like public speaking's hard. Some people are great at it. Awesome. But if you're not gifted at obeying Christ, get off the microphone. And someone needs to start writing our TV channels and saying, put the garbage off. And, and I don't care how much someone proclaims that they have power in their ministry. If they can't clean a toilet, don't come around me, man. Are you guys, you guys catching the nuances here? Jesus says that the, that the Gentiles lord over one another, but not so with you. The greatest among you will be the lowest of all. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. And then Jesus, God in the flesh, he did not forget for a moment that he was God. God in the flesh gets down on his hands and knees and washes the disciples' feet and then says, this is who you're going to be. You're going to be servants of all. So no man should be elevated to a, to a platform, given a microphone, until that man plainly expresses the nature of Jesus. And as charismatics, we've got to start standing up and calling people's junk and saying, nope, nope. And somebody's got to start saying, turn the microphone off, quit buying the books. Somebody, we've got to get back to the scripture. I'm going to get off my pedestal here for a second. So, yes, I do believe that there are apostles and prophets. I do believe, like Barnabas, that there are still people today who are planning churches, raising up leaders, who are helping people to grasp who they are in Christ. There are a few men in my life who I'd say they operate in an apostolic role. And, yes, I think there are people who excel in the gift of prophecy and whose job is to help the church understand how to hear from God on a daily life and who, who can help edify the body. But those people are subject to the Scripture, and those people, of all people, ought to express extreme Christ-likeness. And if they don't express Christ-likeness, in my, they don't get the office, in my opinion. And so, in the same thing, we see um, the daughters of Philip. Philip has daughters who prophesy. We see Agabus in the New Testament who prophesies a famine, and the church responds to the prophecy. So on multiple occasions, we see prophetic people who prophesy and who help the church through the gift of prophecy, but those people don't write Scripture. And the same thing, we see apostolic people in the New Testament. There are times where Timothy seems to be playing an apostolic role, traveling with Paul, raising up churches, but he doesn't give scripture. There is a distinction, and we've got to hold fast to that distinction, or we'll be, we'll be taken anywhere by anybody who's gifted, wears a swanky suit, and, and wants our money. So the distinction is there are some people who are gifted to equip the body, but the distinct, so there's a distinction between right here, Paul lays out a distinction between saints and fivefold ministry gifts. And so there are gifts and saints, but Paul says that it's the saints who are supposed to do the ministry, that the gifts are supposed to get under the saints and support them and help teach them. But, but it's not laity. It's not the idea that, that the people who have a ministry gift do all of the work and the church just sits and listens and gives their money to help pay for the people to do it. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul says that the gifts, that they're supportive roles. So my role as a pastor teacher is supportive. My job is to help you work out doctrine. My job is to support you when you're struggling. But but my job is not to do the work of the saints outside of my individual role. My job is to equip you to do the work of the saints. The, the burden is on the church at large. So 
again, don't allow some swanky person to, to convince you that you have no responsibility. You have a responsibility from the text. You have a responsibility to minister to this community. You have a responsibility to disciple your children. You have a responsibility to bless your coworkers. You have a responsibility to evangelize. You have a responsibility to pray. You have a responsibility to reach out and love. Listen, you have responsibilities. You don't get to shirk that. And so as a church, we've got to come to a place where we put these ideas in, in their proper context. And we've got, if we are going to be a church that really lives and breathes to love Jesus and to reach our community, butts and chairs have to start realizing their gifts and their calls and to start pursuing them. So this text, from my understanding, this text, should, you should go home today, you should look yourself in the mirror, and you should remind yourself, I have a ministry call. And then you should get in your prayer closet and you you should start to pray. God, how are you calling me to bless this community? What part do I have to play? Again, not that we're all trying to be superstars. Not that we're all trying to have a a show on TBN. but, But we are all trying to play a part. And so what's your part? How are you? Are you discipling people today? Because you don't, just because you don't have to have pastor, prophet, something in front of your name to disciple. You have saint. Who are you blessing today? How are we? This is, and this is a corporate conversation here. I don't have to have all the answers. Biblically, I don't have to have all the answers. How are we going to reach our community? We, we going to reach our community. What are we going to do about the fact that there are people dying every day who don't know the beauty and the glory and the majesty of Jesus? What are we going to do? How are we going to accomplish it? What part do you have to play? What is God asking of you today? What is God asking of you today? And so, I don't have answers to all that, and I don't think we're going to figure that out tomorrow. But I think we're going to slowly start trying to chip away at being people who take the gospel seriously. And who really love our community, and who really take our call seriously. Um, So... This church's goal, I'm making it really plain. My goal, Caleb's goal, is to equip you to reach the city. My goal is to play my part in teaching doctrine, making sure we're, we're allowing the text to bear weight, making sure that we're creating a house that tries to express Christ's likeness. It's my job to, to, to lay out the framework, but then it's our job to put gas in the car and run the thing. And so for me, when I stand before God on the last day, and I will, I will stand before Christ and I'll give account for my life. When I stand before him, a win, an absolute win, would be you fulfilling your call. Me getting to look Jesus in the face and saying, I equipped the saints that you entrusted to me in a church. I equipped those saints to fulfill their call to do the work of the ministry. My win is helping you to reach your friends, to reach your neighbors, to reach your coworkers. And so we've got to figure out how to do that. We gotta figure out how to take it toward the next step of actually implement, what's that word? Implement something. We're gonna implement, we're gonna implement something. Implement. Golly, y'all ain't no help. We're gonna implement something. And so our, our, the way that we're trying to restructure our church model is, is our church model, the way that we're working towards, is, is gonna be about participation. Our church model, what I'm, what, what my win is, is not necessarily to have the most people in a church out of anybody in the surrounding area. My goal is to have the people in the church involved. 
to have people taking ownership and playing a part. If we, if every butt in the chair has their hand to the plow, we can accomplish some things, man. If we can start tapping into giftings and callings, we can make some, we can make some things happen. Our goal is involvement. Our goal is participation. Our goal is that you as a congregation would start to take ownership for your personal ownership for our mission to reach this community for the sake of the gospel. And so we are, um, this, this is the point of the next steps class. One of, one of the point of us trying to do the next steps thing is we're just trying to create a platform in which we're going to explain who we are as a church. We're going to talk about our vision. We're going to talk about who we want to be. And then at the end of explaining, this is who we are. We're going to try to start opening up what we're calling teams. We're, we're, we're calling our department teams and we're going to start opening up these teams and we're going to say, which team do you, which, which team do you want to join? Is there, is there a ministry here that you could be a part of? And then we're encouraging our teams to have meetings and just dream. We're encouraging our teams to just sit around the coffee table and say, what can we do? How can we reach our city? And so I'm telling you plainly, the next steps class is about informing the church of who, where we're going, who we want to be. The next steps class is our goal is to involve people in connect groups. We want everyone to, to feel connected, to feel like they have community. But there is an underlying, not hidden agenda. It is a, now a plain agenda. The plain agenda is to create an avenue where your butt in the seat becomes a butt pushing a plow. Where, where everyone can start to play a role and start to have a part. And that may not look like, I know some of us, even our physical health, that may not look like serving once a month. It may not look like... Um, being at church early, it might just look like praying, dreaming, researching, studying our city. It might just look like supporting a ministry, but we want you to have some involvement, to have some place where you're putting your hand to the plow. And so to be plainly honest, that's, that's the direction we're trying to move. And our, and our dream, our absolute dream is that we start to have teams just popping up teams, groups of people in the church saying, I want to start a homeless ministry and people saying, yep, I'll do it with you. Our dream is that people in the church would say, there's an apartment complex over here that we can get into and do a barbecue and bless these people. And then a team just to develop and people to say, yep, let's go do it. Our dream is that we start to have groups of little pockets of people who take this thing seriously. And who, who take their part and their role seriously. And so if, if this is all speaking to you, get, get yourself in the next steps class. Be a part. Lean in. We're, we are, we are going to do everything we can to actually engage this community with the gospel. We refuse to be a church that just does Sunday morning. So in conclusion, I'm saying that we continue to embrace our biblical conviction that the Holy Spirit has given us gifts to equip the church. That Christ have given certain offices to assist the saints, but let's rid ourselves of any kind of idol worship. Don't let any man or woman with a title become a person that we worship, throw all our money out, and shirk our responsibility to. I'm saying that we take back our responsibility, that we honor our call, that we acknowledge that there are people who are gifted with certain gifts to help us not to take our work. I say that we refuse to follow any man, no matter how gifted, who does not walk in a manner which is worthy of our corporate call. If he can't wash the feet of the saints, then he won't, shouldn't be speaking into our family. I say we build our church model around the idea that every person in this room has a call. That, that Christ, remember Ephesians 2, that you weren't saved by works, you were saved by grace, but you were saved 
for good works which Christ prepared beforehand for you. So there is a good work in this city. I believe that if you're here, if you live here, that you live here under God's providence. That God has placed you here. So if you live here under God's providence in this city, and God has prepared good works for you to do, then I think there's some task that we should be accomplishing. There's some manner in which we should be expressing this gospel to our city. And we've got to discover that, man. It's our responsibility to do so. Responsibility is on our shoulders. Thank you for listening to this Sunday sermon. Be sure to visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org for more resources.
Thank you for listening to this Sunday's sermon. Be sure to visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org for more resources.